as we study the great um, book of the prophet Isaiah, Father, I pray that you would give me the words to say as we uh, just go through the Bible, Lord, and as we apply truth to our lives. We love you, Lord. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Isaiah chapter 2, and uh, I'm, I'm so excited to be studying the book of Isaiah. You know, I, I, I'm excited to share a few things with you tonight that I uh, studied out in this chapter, and I don't know, sometimes I get excited about odd things. You know, I'll get really excited about something, and then people will be like, no, it's not that interesting, but it's interesting to me, so it's at least a blessing to me as I studied it out. But as we get into the book of Isaiah, it's extremely interesting, and, and just the... the just how clear the prophet is presenting something. And for us it's very clear because we have, you know, the New Testament to be able to shed light on what he's talking about. But if you look at verse 1, Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And I want you to notice that it's the word of Isaiah which he saw concerning. So this is something that God actually allowed him to see. Uh, sort of like John and the Isle of Patmos was kind of caught up in the spirit and he was able to see the end times uh, prophecies there. The uh, Isaiah was able to see these things concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 2, I want you to notice that this chapter has to do with end times prophecy. And it shall come to pass, notice this phrase, in the last days. Now that phrase, in the last days, is often used in a lot of different uh, uh, just kind of settings, you know, the Bible refers to the time that you and I are living in right now as the last days. The last days being referred to here is actually the, the millennium kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll, I'll show you why I, we know that Isaiah is referring to uh, the millennium. But he says, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house, and I want you to notice what he's talking about. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. Now I want you to notice that it says, The mount of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills. We're talking about a mountain that's going to be exalted above the hills. Now, I don't have the time to develop this. You can study this out on your own. But oftentimes, mountains in the Bible are a type of kingdoms. Uh, you know, in Genesis, it talks about the kingdom of Edom, and it talks about the mount of Edom. And it uses that type of terminology. And here we're talking about the future coming kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice, we see in this passage what the kingdom of God is going to be like and what the kingdom of God is not going to be like. Or the things that will be in the kingdom of God and the things that will not be in the kingdom of God. And if you notice in verse 2, it says, The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established. I want you to notice that word house. It's the mountain of the Lord's house. Look at verse 3. And many shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and He will teach us of His ways, and we will walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now keep your finger there in Isaiah chapter 2. Go to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 1 Timothy in the Old Testament. I'm sorry, good night. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 15, I want you to understand what the house of the Lord is. Now, in the Old Testament, the house of the Lord was the tabernacle, then it became the temple. In the New Testament, the Bible says, 1 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 15, it says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself. Notice this. In the house of God, notice, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. In the New Testament, the house of God is the church of God. Now, the church is not a building. 
The church is the assembly of believers. As you and I come together, our individual bodies being the temple of the Holy Ghost, as we come together and congregate and assemble, we become the house of God. In Isaiah, he's speaking about the last days, and he says, in the last days, we're going to go to the mountain of the Lord's house, and in verse 3, go back to Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 3, he says, and many people shall go and say, come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his path, for out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So here's the thing, as New Testament believers, we are commanded to go to the house of the Lord, which is the church of the living God, but guess what? In the coming kingdom of God, in the millennial reign, you know what we're going to be doing when Jesus Christ is living on this earth and ruling and reigning? You know what we're going to be doing for a thousand years? Guess what? We're going to be having church. We're going to be going to the house of the Lord. I mean, notice what verse 3 says. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And why are we going to the house of the God of Jacob? The same reason we go to the house of the God of Jacob today. The same reason we come to the church, the house of God today. And He will teach us His ways, and we will walk in His path. See, the purpose of going to church is not to get a tingly feeling. It's not so you can feel spiritual. It's not so you can say, Oh, oh I feel so spiritual. Because some long-haired hippie was, you know, uh, being sensual with the microphone while he's singing about Jesus. The purpose of church, all throughout Scripture, is this. So we can learn about God. And so we can apply it to our lives. And in the millennial reign of God, you know, people say today, they're like, ah, you know, church is kind of boring. You get up there and you just they talk about the Bible and you're preaching. And a lot of Christians today don't like church. You know, they'll go if they have to, if their husband wants to go, if their wife is making them go, or, you know, their kids and their parents are making them go. But guess what? You better get used to church because for a thousand years during the reign of Jesus Christ, what we're going to be doing is going up to the house of God for the purpose that He will teach us of His ways and we will walk in His paths. That's what we'll be doing. You say, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're in, in heaven in the millennial reign, we're going to be doing the same thing we do right now. Opening God's Word, learning from God's Word, applying it to our lives. Now, here, here's what's interesting, though. It, it's it's going to be better. Keep your finger there, Isaiah. Go to Deuteronomy 29. I, I want you to see this verse, Deuteronomy 29. And look at verse number 29. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29. I want you to notice, see, today you come to the house of God, and you listen to a man preach the Word of God, and, you know, I do my best to study the Bible. I do my best to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help me, to guide me as I study God's Word, to be able to help me to, you know, uh, correctly interpret Scripture and to be able to apply it in the right way. But, you know, there are things that I don't know. You know, I'll just be honest with you. I'm not one, you know, I, I've known pastors and, I've, and, I've, and, and I know pastors even now that, you know, they're going to act... You know, you ask them a question, they're going to act like they have every answer, even if they got to make it up. You know what I mean? That's not me. If you ask me a question and I don't know, I'm just going to tell you, like, I don't know. I don't know what that is, but here's what's interesting. And there are things in the Bible that none of us know and none of us will ever know. Are you there in Deuteronomy 29? Look at verse 29. The Bible says this. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of, of this law. So there are things in the law that are revealed, and those belong to us, and we can teach them and preach them and stand on them. But the Bible says that there are secret things that belong unto the Lord our God. Now here's the interesting thing. For a thousand years, you and I are going to be able to go up to the house of the Lord, to go up to the mountain of God, to go up to the church, to the general assembly of God. We're going to gather together, all as believers, for the purpose of hearing God's word preached. But guess what? You're not going to hear a man preach. You're going to hear God Himself teach you the Bible. 
I mean, isn't that going to be worth the drive? That's going to be worth getting up early in the morning for. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be skipping out on church, you know. When, when it's God preaching, the author of the scriptures preaching, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. And He's going to explain Him and teach Him and, and, and teach us the Word of God. And for eternity, we'll just be learning God. You know, could you just imagine going up and having Jesus say, Hey, let me, let me show you something here out of, out of the book of Isaiah. I know, I know you went to Isaiah. You, you, your pastor was preaching out of Isaiah chapter 2. And you were there last night. But he missed so many things. Let me show you. And he's going to explain to us and expound. And here's the point. For eternity, we're going to be in church. So you might as well just get used to church now. You might as well just start liking church now. You might as well just start liking the old hymns now. You might as well just start liking the Word of God now. Because that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to go up to the house of the Lord. Not only are we going to be at the house of the Lord, but I want you to notice, look at Isaiah chapter 2, look at verse 4. In the kingdom of God, there will be church. We're going to have church. You're not getting rid of church. Sorry. You may get rid of Pastor Jimenez, but you're not getting rid of church. And I, I could use a break too, you know. I'll, I'll enjoy sitting down at the feet of Jesus and learning. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4, but I want you to understand, there's also going to be government. See, people get this idea of when, when we're at the kingdom of God, you know, we're just going to be sitting on a cloud, playing a harp, you know, and we're all going to be on spiritual welfare doing nothing. Well, guess what? Some of you need to get used to just working because when we get to heaven and we get to the kingdom of God, guess what you're going to be doing? Working. There's going to be government. There's going to be structure. Look at verse 4. And he shall judge among the nations. So there will be nations that God will be judging. Now, how do we know that this is referring to... Because you got to understand this, and I'm going to try to explain it to you. We'll go to Revelation here in a minute. But there's... Well, let me not get ahead of myself. Let me just show you. We know it's the millennial reign of Christ because notice verse 4. It says, And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. Alright? I want you to remember that. There are going to be people that are going to be rebuked. So we know this is a millennial reign of Christ because there will be people to rebuke. Now let me just explain just a little bit of end times prophecy to you. Okay, Right now, we're living during the New Testament age. The Bible teaches not Baptist, not Christianity, not, you know... 99% of Christians. But the Bible teaches that the next major event to happen is what's called the tribulation. We're going to go into the tribulation. The Antichrist is going to show up. Remember we are talking about it this morning? The military leader is going to come in and unite the world through priests. And everybody will say, oh, the Antichrist is really, you know, he's the Messiah. And he's going to unite the entire world, okay? He's going to begin to persecute Christians. Then Jesus Christ is going to come back, alright? He's going to rapture us out of here. We're going to have, you know, he's going to have the wrath of God, the battle of Armageddon. And then the Bible teaches that there will be a thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that thousand year reign is not heaven. Jesus Christ will reign on this physical earth for a thousand years. Now the Bible teaches, and we'll get more into this as we go through the book of Isaiah, because Isaiah actually teaches a lot about the millennial reign. But the Bible teaches that during that thousand years, God will remove the curse from the earth, which means that there's going to be animals. You know, the Bible says that the bear is going to lie down with the lamb. The, 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 the lion is going to eat like an ox. Animals are not going to attack each other anymore. They're going to become, uh, you know, vegetarians. You know what I mean? And, and we're going to be able, we're going to have a time of peace for that thousand years. Now, here's what you need to understand. During that thousand year reign, there will be mortal human beings still living on earth. And we're going to reign with Christ over those individuals. I'm going to prove that to you from the Bible here in a second. But I want you to understand, that's why in verse 4 it says, He shall judge among the nations. The He is referring to God. Jesus will judge among the nations. But there still will be people that shall, He shall rebuke many people. Do you see that? 
Now look, I'm not going to get rebuked because I'll be in my glorified body. I'm not going to sin anymore. I'll have no sin nature. You, if you're saved, will not be rebuked because you'll be in your glorified body. Keep in mind, this is after the rapture. But there will still be people on earth that will be rebuked. That's how we know that this is not talking about eternity, heaven, the new Jerusalem, you know, the new heaven, the new earth. This is talking about still this earth where Jesus is ruling and reigning and there will be people that are rebuked. So look at verse 4. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Now keep your finger there in Isaiah chapter 2. And go to Revelation chapter number 20. And let me just show you a few things in regards to this. Revelation chapter 20. So remember, there comes a great tribulation. The Antichrist sets up the abomination of desolation. Then, that, then begins what's known as the great tribulation. Where people have to worship the abomination of desolation. If they do not worship the, the abomination of desolation, then their heads get cut off. If they worship the abomination of desolation, they receive the mark of the beast. And, you know, they, they become worshippers of Satan. And during that time, many Christians are going to be beheaded. We talked about it on Wednesday night. Remember, Jesus is going to come back in the fourth watch at the fourth kingdom. And He's going to shorten the days for the elect's sake. Okay? He's going to rescue us out of this. It's, it's interesting. I couldn't have worked all this out myself. But the sermon on Wednesday night, this morning's sermon about the Jews, and tonight's sermon, I mean, I, I couldn't have put these things together more perfectly uh, to be able to keep it, the context. It's amazing how, how God does it. I'm not that, I'll tell you right now, I'm not that smart to be able to figure all that out. You know, when, when are we going to be in Revelation? When are we going to be in Isaiah? But, um, but notice, are you there in Revelation chapter 20? Look at verse 1, okay? And I saw the angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit. Now the bottomless pit is referring to hell. You can study that out if you'd like. The word pit is a reference to hell. And it says, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him, notice this, a thousand years, okay? So just Jesus wanted to make sure we knew who he was talking about. He said he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan. I mean, he gives us all his names to make sure we know who he's talking about. Now notice this, he bound him for a thousand years. Who bound him for a thousand years? The angel came down from heaven, having the keys of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. So Satan is bound for a thousand years, verse 3, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, that he should deceive the nations no more. Do you see that? That he should deceive the nations no more. Now notice this, till, or until, the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that, after what? After the thousand years are fulfilled, he must be loosed a little season. Do you see that? So at the beginning of the millennial reign, at the battle of Armageddon, Jesus is going to send an angel to take Satan, bind him with a chain, throw him in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now you've got to understand, and this is a misconception people have. People think that God's going to come back at the battle of Armageddon. Jesus is going to talk, come back at the battle of Armageddon. And he's going to give him that verbal nuke. You know what I mean? He's going to open his mouth. The Bible says he's going to destroy the armies with his word. But you've got to understand this. People assume that everyone on earth gets killed. Not everyone gets killed. Only the armies that are fighting and the kings that are fighting at the battle of Armageddon. There's still many, many people alive on earth that are actually going to go and be ushered 
into the kingdom of God. Okay? Am I, am I, do you understand what I'm saying? I don't have time to go through all the verses, so you just got to read your Bible on your own. I know it stinks, but you got to read the Bible. Okay? So here's the thing. At the millennial reign, Jesus will take Satan, bind him for a thousand years, throw him into the bottomless pit, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that, he must be loosed a little season. Look at verse 4. And I saw thrones. You see the word thrones there? That's talking about a kingdom. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. Those were the people that did not take the mark of the beast, that went through great tribulation. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they, notice this, lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Do you see that? So the believers that make it through the tribulation, the believers that get raptured out of the tribulation, Satan gets bound a thousand years. Then the believers that were raptured will reign with Jesus Christ for one thousand years on this earth. Look at verse 5. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. Now who is that referring to? You need to understand this, okay? When we get raptured, Remember the Jehovah's Witnesses when they came to your house? They said, only 144,000 are going up. And the rest of us are staying down. Okay, they're not saved. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't understand the Bible. Okay, they actually have it completely opposite. The Bible teaches that when we go up, the 144,000 come down. When we get raptured up, God seals. If you remember, if you study Revelation chapter 7, remember, before He has the angels gather up all the people, He says, wait a minute, before you hurt everybody, let me seal the 144,000, because God is getting ready to pour out His wrath, and He does not want the 144,000 to be hurt while His wrath is poured out. So we get raptured up, the 144,000 come down, and the 144,000 are actually preaching the gospel during the time of God's wrath. There's also the the two witnesses, you remember the two witnesses? They're going to be preaching the gospel as well. And there are people, you need to understand this, there are people that are going to be saved after the rapture, but before the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. You understand that? So here's the thing, those people, did I just, should I just move on? I feel like I lost everybody. The people that got saved after the rapture and died before the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, those people are not going to be resurrected again until the end of the thousand years. Does that make sense? Somebody nod their head like I'm making any sense. Okay, look at, look, look at verse, just, even, just fake it, okay? Fake it till you make it. Look at verse uh, uh, 5. And the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. That's who we're talking about. The people that were saved after the rapture, before the thousand year reign, they're not going to get resurrected until the thousand years, the millennial reign of Christ was finished. Notice what it says. This is the first resurrection. Okay? That is a reference to the rapture. The rapture is often called the resurrection. Actually, the Bible never even uses the word rapture. I like the word rapture. There's nothing wrong with it. But he's talking about the first resurrection. Now notice, he says, this is the first resurrection. Verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. You say, well, what is the what, 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 is, what is the benefit of being raptured up in the first resurrection. Here's the benefit. Those of us that are raptured at the first resurrection, we get to be priests of God, and we get to reign with Christ a thousand years. Now keep your finger there in Revelation, okay? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to get back to Isaiah, but i got to uh, put the groundwork down. And let me just explain something to you about Bible study, because people don't understand this, and, and it will solve a whole lot of problems 
We need to understand this. We are given more light the further into Scripture that we get. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? Here's what I'm saying. We use the book of Revelation to understand the book of Isaiah, not vice versa. It's called the book of Revelation. You understand that? It's God revealing what He's going to do. Okay? People get mixed up. They get mixed up on Bible, uh, uh, on salvation. Every time someone tries to preach to me about, you know, just a false doctrine about salvation, you know where they take me? To Ezekiel. You know where they take me? To Isaiah. You know where they take me? To Daniel. They take me to these books where God has said that it's... Daniel himself didn't understand what he was writing. He said, look, I don't understand this. I wish somebody would explain this to me. Daniel is saying that. As we get into the Bible, we use the New Testament to explain the Old Testament. We use the book of Revelation to shed light on Daniel, not vice versa. This is where people get all mixed up. So we look at Revelation and that allows us to be able to see what's happening in Isaiah. 1 Corinthians 15, look what it says. 1 Corinthians 15, we're talking about the resurrections, we're talking about the rapture. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 22. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You see that? That's talking about the resurrection, right? It's talking about the rapture. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall be made alive. But you've got to understand this, there's a few phases to that rapture. Look at verse 23. But every man in his own order. You see how there's an order? That is being referred to. Okay. So what's the first resurrection? Christ, the first fruit. Remember, Jesus resurrected from the grave. Okay. He's the first fruits. He was the first one to be resurrected. Now you say, well, wait a minute. In the Bible, there was people that were resurrected before Christ, like Lazarus or like people in the Old Testament. But you've got to keep in mind, those people all died again. Jesus resurrected, Jesus was the first one to resurrect in a glorified body. Jesus never died again. Does that make sense? So at the resurrection, we have the first resurrection, or the first fruits, which is Christ. So, who was the first fruits? Jesus Christ. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward, so who gets resurrected after Jesus? Afterward, they that are Christ at His coming. That's the first resurrection or the rapture. Alright? So we take part in the first resurrection. Jesus takes part in the first fruits. Verse 24. Then, so here's a, a third part. Then cometh the end. When He shall have delivered up the kingdom of God. I wish I had time to get into all of this, but what he's talking about is after the millennial reign. Because Jesus will rule and reign on earth for a thousand years in his physical body. Once a thousand years are up, he will deliver the kingdom to God the Father. Now, Jesus and God are the same. We understand that. But for eternity, God will reign on the throne. That's what the reference is there. So notice what it says, verse 24. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down the rule and all the authority. So that's what we were referring to in Revelation where it says uh, that the rest of the dead live not until the thousand years are finished. And actually, it, the, the, the term first fruits is a harvest term. And in the Bible, if you study the book of Ruth, you study different passages that have to do with harvesting. Do you remember that they would have the first fruits, which was the first things that sprung up? And they went out and brought those in, and that wasn't a lot. Then they had the harvest, which was the big, that's where they made all their money. And then they had the gleanings, where remember Ruth was able to go and pick up the rest that wasn't picked up in the harvest. That all pictures the rapture or the resurrection. Jesus is the first fruits, just Him. Then there's the harvest, that's the bulk, that's the majority. Every believer from Adam to... 
you know, the last one, you know, Kirk Cameron or whatever, you know, the last one here at the rapture. Or, he's not saved. I'm just kidding. But, um, you know, just whatever all those people. The, that's going to be the bulk of the harvest. And then after the thousand year reign, there's that gleaning, that group of people that got saved after the rapture, but before the millennial reign. And God's going to bring them and resurrect them as well. Are you confused? Is that crystal clear? Clear as mud, right? Okay. Go back to, uh, let's see where I want you. Well, let, let me show you this. Go, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. As you're there in 1 Corinthians 15, go to chapter 6. Okay. So here's what I want you to understand. Satan is bound for a thousand years. Those of us that were Christ that is coming, those of us that got raptured, the first resurrection will reign with Christ for a thousand years. After the millennium, then those which were dead are going to get resurrected. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. There are any of you... So here's the thing. When we're reigning in the kingdom of God, what are we going to reign, be reigning over? Okay, and I want you to understand this. We're going to be reigning over those people that are mortal humans on earth. Look, what's the point of reigning if you're not reigning over someone? You know what I mean? But not only that, we're going to be reigning over angels. Are you there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Look at verse 1. There any of you, having a matter against another, go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints? Look at verse 2. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? That's you and I. We're going to judge this world. And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matter? Verse 3. Know ye not that ye shall judge angels? That's you and I. We're going to judge angels. How much more things that pertain to this life? Go back to Revelation chapter 20. So do you notice we're going to be judging the world? We're going to be judging angels? Now you say, how, how is it determined... Who gets to judge what? Well, it's determined based, the Bible is very clear, and I don't have time to go there, but it's determined on the things you did for God. So obviously, the more you did for God on earth, the more you're going to get to enjoy the millennial reign. If you're just a lame-o here on earth, and you just didn't do nothing for God, then you're going to be you know, scrubbing toilets or working for somebody else. All right? Revelation chapter 20, look at verse 7. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 7. Jesus is not a communist, okay? Jesus expects you to work. Revelation 20, look at verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, okay, so the millennial reign of Christ is over. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Remember, he was put in the bottom of the spit. And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of them that is as the sand sea. So here's the proof that there are humans still living on earth while we're reigning. Because when Satan is loose from the bottomless pit, he goes out and he gathers the nations, and these are people living on earth that are not saved. And people say all the time, like, you know, well, I, you know, is there anyone going to be on earth that's not? When Jesus is physically reigning on earth, isn't everyone just going to believe on him? You know, God was physically talking to Adam and Eve, and they still screwed up. You know, so I, I don't, I don't know that just because Jesus is on earth, everyone's going to believe. There's going to be people that don't want to go to church, just like today. There's going to be people that don't want to live. But, because guess what? When Jesus was reigning on this earth, guess what the laws are going to be? This book. The book of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. The Bible is going to be... So there's going to be people that are living on earth and they're, you know, they're enjoying their, their bear for a pet and their kids are playing with the cockatrice and all those things. But they're not in their heart. They don't want anything to do with it. Satan shows up a thousand years later. He unites all of the nations. Uh, verse 8, Deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand sea. And by the way, this is why you can't read books. This is why you can't just be watching videos on YouTube. 
This is why you can't just be listening to TV preachers. This is why you need to open a Bible and study it for yourself. Because today, you're going to find people tell you, Gog is Russia, Magog is China, Gog, you know, maybe it's Iraq, and maybe it's Korea. Listen to me, Gog and Magog were gathered at the end of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. You understand that? It's not Russia. It's not China. These are nations that exist at the end of Jesus Christ reigning for a thousand years. Yet people will watch preachers on TV and listen to people that don't read the Bible, that read a bunch of books, and they say they get all their doctrine from left behind instead of reading the Word of God. If you read the Bible, you'll be like, well, Gog and Magog is at the end of a thousand years. There's no way it's North Korea. It's that sure not the United States of America. We're going to be long way before that. Look at verse 9. And they went, that's a sermon for another night. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, and compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven, and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So you got to understand this, okay? At the beginning of the millennial reign, we have the battle of Armageddon. Satan is put into the bottomless pit. At the end of the millennial reign, we have the battle of Gog and Magog. This is the last battle, that is the last chance that Satan has against God. And how does it go for him? Verse 9, they went up on the breadth of the earth, encompassed the camp of the saints about the and beloved city. And here's our last, how long it lasted. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured. Game over. And the devil that deceived them was cast into a lake of fire. And when you get into a lake of fire, nobody gets out. It's done. And if you keep reading, you'll see that we have the great white throne, God gives us final judgment, and we go into eternity, new heaven, new earth. Go back to Isaiah chapter 2. I had to read you all that for you to make sense of Isaiah chapter 2. Okay, look at verse 4. That's the context. That's what we're talking about. The millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. And He shall judge among the nations. That's what we're referring to. What nations? Gog and Magog, all those nations. And shall rebuke many people. What people? All those people that are going to follow Satan at the end of the millennial reign. And say, yeah, let's fight against God one more time. He's going to rebuke those people. Now, now here's the thing. You've got to understand this. During the millennial reign of Christ, that, that, the, the battle of Gog and Magog is at the very end of the thousand year reign. But during that reign of Christ, that will be the first time and the only time that there will be peace on this earth. Notice what the verse says. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. Okay? And their spears into pruning hooks. Plowshares and pruning hooks are tools used for farming. He says they're going to take their swords and their spears and they're going to beat them and turn them. They're going to say, I don't have any use for the sword anymore. I don't have any use for this spear anymore. I'm going to turn this shore into a plowshare because that's what I need. I'm going to turn this spear into a pruning hook. Notice, nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. At the millennial reign of Christ, there will be peace on earth to the point where people will say, there's no use of me having this weapon. I don't need it. There's no war. So I'm just going to turn this into a, 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 a tool that I can use for work. Now you gotta understand this, okay? Today there are communist nations that will take, and even politicians will take this verse and they'll say, "We need to turn our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks." And they say, "Let's let's just you know get rid of all our guns. And if we get rid of all our guns, then the bad people will know that we don't want to hurt them. And then they'll get rid of their guns." Okay, there's a word for that. There's actually a theological word for that. 
Okay, you ready? It's called stupidity. <laughs> Keep your sword. <laughs> Keep your spear. Today, there is no peace on earth. Today, people want to hurt you. The, today, people want to hurt your children. God never commanded us to get rid of our weapons. In fact, there's another passage where He tells the people to take their plowshares and beat them into a sword. And to take their pruning hooks and beat them into a spear. Why? Because today, there is sin and evil on this earth. One day, there will be peace on earth when Christ is reigning. But it's not today. So keep your gun. Keep your weapon. And don't let anybody tell you, ah, oh, you gotta just get disarmed. And we, you know, the way to peace, look, you need to protect yourself. And by the way, the Antichrist, we talked about it this morning, is gonna be faking Jesus. See, Jesus is gonna bring real peace. Antichrist is gonna bring fake peace. Because here's the thing the Antichrist, remember the, the rabbis, they're gonna say the military leader is gonna unite the world through peace, right? Except, um, you know, except for the fact that if you're a Christian, you know, the whole world's going to have peace unless if you're a Christian, because then they're trying to cut your head off. Okay? So they're going to, here's why, here's how they're going to unite the world through peace. Because they're all going to get against us. And they're going to have one common enemy, you and I. So that's not going to be true peace. But when Jesus comes, there will be true peace. Where people will say, What do I have this sword for? I'm going to turn this into a plowshare. What do I have this spear for? I'm going to turn it into a pruning hook. So at. The kingdom of God, there's going to be church. If you don't like church now, you might as well just start liking it, because that's what we're going to be doing with God. There's going to be government structure, ruling and reigning. You and I will rule and reign over uh, uh, people that are mortals still living on this earth, over angels. There's going to be peace. You won't need your guns. Okay? Number two. That's all of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. Okay? What about, what will the kingdom of God not be like? What will the kingdom of God not be like? Look at look at verse five. I know we're only at verse five, but we're, doing, we're we'll be we're going to knock a lot of these verses out in the next few moments. Isaiah chapter two and verse five. What will the kingdom of God not be like? Okay, number one, there will be no humanism. There will be no humanism. Look at verse 5. O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, O house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east, and are soothsayers. You say, what's a soothsayer? A soothsayer is someone that thinks that they're able to foresee the future. That's your little horoscope you like to read. Like the Philistines. And they, notice this, please themselves in the children of strangers. Okay, that's the world we live in. We live in a humanist world. What is humanism? The pursuit of pleasure. Today, people's idea is, if it feels good, do it. As long as you're not hurting anyone. Well, guess what? Sin always hurts someone. And people have this idea, you know, today it's just like, if it feels good, if it's pleasurable, just do it. The last part of verse 6 says, they please themselves, but at the kingdom of God, there will be no humanism. If it feels good, do it. Well, what will we replace with, if God says it, do it. That will be the law of the Lamb. There will be none of this concept of, well, you know, I know it's wrong, I know it's immoral, but, you know, I'm just going to please myself. And that's how a lot of people live their lives. And if you live your life in the way where it's just kind of, I get up when I want to get up, I do what I want to do, no one tells me what to do, I'm going to do what feels good. You might want to correct that right now, because for eternity, it's not going to be any pleasing of yourself. The Bible says we're created for His pleasure. And we will please Him for eternity. Number two. Not only will there be no humanism, but there will be no materialism. What is materialism? The pursuit of things. Humanism is the pursuit of pleasure. Materialism is the pursuit of things. Look at verse 7. Their land also... Tell me if this reminds you of America. Their land also is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end of their treasure. 
Their land is also full of horses. Neither is there any end of their chariots. So they have money. They have protection. Verse 8. Their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands. That which their own fingers have made. America is full of idols. Verse 9. They even have a show named after it. Verse 9. And the mean man boweth down. And the great man humbleth himself. Therefore, notice this phrase. God is always loving. Therefore, forgive them not. Okay, now you say, well, what's the problem with a mean man bowing down and a great man humbling himself? There's nothing wrong with somebody bowing down and humbling themselves. The problem is they're humbling themselves to the wrong thing. They're humbling themselves to idols. They're humbling themselves to the horses and to the silver and to the gold. And today we live in a society that is like, you know, I'm going to serve the God of money. I, it, it, whatever I got to do to make money, that is the God of this world. It's materialism, but in heaven, but in the kingdom of God, there'll be no materialism. There'll be no humanism, no pursuit of pleasure, no pursuit of things. Not only that, but there will be no pride. Pride is the pursuit of self. Look at verse 10. The Bible teaches that God is going to humble every man. Now it's interesting because I want you to look at these phrases. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 10. Enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust. For the fear of the Lord and for the glory of His majesty... The lofty, the word lofty means high. The lofty looks of man shall be humble. You ever see somebody who just has a proud, arrogant look on their face? I want to walk up to them and say, fix your face. You know what I mean? Like, they're just like, they just really think a lot of themselves. The lofty looks of man, notice, shall be humble. And the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. The Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. There will be no pride when Jesus comes back in the kingdom of God. God is going to humble everyone. Now here's what's what's interesting, and here's what I got really excited about as I was studying this. Look at verse 13. And upon all the cedars of Lebanon, okay, talking about a tree, that are high and lifted up, And upon all the oaks of Bashan, again, talking about a tree. And upon all the high mountains, and upon the hills that are lifted up, talking about, you know, the the scenery and about nature. And upon every high tower, talking about buildings. Do we have high towers today? Go down to downtown and we have some high towers. There's high towers in Los Angeles. There's high towers in in, uh, New York City. And upon every high tower, and upon every fenced wall, and upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon all the pleasant pictures, and the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Now here, here's the thing. When you and I read, like the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah, you know what we often do is we kind of like our eyes glaze over, and we kind of just, we read so we can check it off and say we read it, but we don't really pay attention. You know what I mean? And we read these verses and it says that God is going to humble every man. The lofty looks of man shall be humble. The haughtiness of man shall be bowed down. Um, everyone that is proud and lofty, everyone that is lifted up shall be brought low. And then God begins to talk about the fact that He's going to humble the trees. You know, the Lebanon, the oaks. He's going to humble the mountains. He's going to humble the hills. He's going to humble the, the towers. He's going to humble the fence walls. And you and I start thinking like, okay, God's just being poetic here. You know, He's trying to make a point, you know. But as I was studying this out, I realized Isaiah chapter 2 actually has a parallel passage. It's Revelation chapter 6. I'd like you to go there. Keep your finger to Isaiah chapter 2. 
But I want you to notice Revelation chapter 6. Because Isaiah chapter 2 is actually talking to us about a time in the book of Revelation known as the sixth seal. In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12, the Bible says this. And it's interesting. Just if, you, if you haven't been paying attention, pay attention right now. okay? And then we'll give you some cake and ice cream and you'll be happy. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12. Revelation chapter 6 verse 12. Keep your finger in Isaiah. We're going to go back and forth. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal. And lo, there was a great earthquake. Make note of that. There was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of air. And the moon became blood. This is talking about the coming of the Lord. Matthew 24. If you'd like to cross-reference it. Verse 13. 13. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth. Even as a fig tree casteth her untimely, her untimely figs. When she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll. When it is rolled together. That's why I love that song. It is well my soul. When the scroll is ro- when the heaven is rolled as a scroll, departed when it's rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Did you catch that? Yes. Every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, notice this, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Now go back to Isaiah chapter 2. Let me prove to you that this is a parallel passage. Because they all, all these high men, right? All these kings of the earth, great men, rich men, chief captains, mighty men, every bondman, every free man, all these guys that had a reason to be proud, they hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 18, and the idols, he shall utterly destroy, verse 19, and they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of the Lord. You see how I was talking about the same thing? And for the glory of His majesty, when He ariseth to shake terribly the earth, make note of that phrase, to shake terribly the earth, in that day a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which he made each one of for himself to worship to the moles and to the back. Here's what's interesting. They're running into the caves. They're running into the holes. They're running into the mountains. And they're taking their idols with them. They're throwing them into the caves with them. It's almost like they can't turn them off. You know what I mean? It's almost like you got to take it with you, your idols. Some of you will get that later. Look at verse 21. To go into the clefts of the rocks and into the tops of the ragged rocks for the fear of the Lord and for the glory of His majesty when He arises to shake terribly the earth. Did you make note of that phrase? Shake terribly the earth. Go back to Revelation chapter 6 and verse 16. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 16. And said to the mountains and rocks. Here's what they said. They run into the caves. They run into the holes. Here's what they said. They said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath has come. And who shall be able to... Notice this word. Stand. Say, Pastor Matthew, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. When Isaiah talks about the fact that God is going to humble every man. He then immediately begins to talk about the fact, I'm not only going to humble man, he said, I'm going to humble the cedar tree, I'm going to humble the oak tree, I'm going to humble the mountain, I'm going to humble the hill, I'm going to humble the tower, I'm going to humble the fence city. When you compare that to Revelation, here's what we learn. When Jesus Christ comes back to earth, He will first step foot on Mount, the Mount of Olives. And when He steps foot on that mountain, that mountain is going to split open. And the Bible says that God is going to shake this earth terribly. There's going to be the worst earthquake that planet earth has ever seen. And God is going to bring down every mountain. God is going to move every island. The Bible says that nothing that is standing will continue to stand. Every tree will bow itself. Every tower will fall to the ground. Every fence will fall. Every cone on the street is going to fall down. Every sign on the street is going to fall down. Nothing will leave standing. Are you starting to get the picture, the image? of what God is saying. When Jesus physically comes back to this earth, 
You say, why would God do all that? To prove a point. See, when Isaiah gets done explaining all that, he, 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 he says this. He wraps it all up with, with one word. And notice what he says. Look at verse 22. He says, he says, with all that said, cease ye from me. The word cease means stop. He says, cease ye from man. He says, just get away from man. Stop having confidence in man. He says, do you understand that when God shows up, when He steps His foot on earth, every knee shall bow and everything's going to bow down to God. There will be, when Jesus is standing on the earth, He will be the tallest thing on this earth because every mountain will be flat. Everything will be down. Every tower, every, He's going to shake this earth to the point where everything's bowing to Jesus Christ. And then Isaiah says, with that thought, cease ye from man. Why? Whose breath is in his nostrils? For where is he accounted to where, where is he to be accounted of? Here's what he's saying. Don't put your confidence in man. When man shows up, nobody bows. Maybe some people bow. But when God shows up, even the hills bow. Even the mountains bow. Even the towers bow. There's two phrases in this chapter that kind of give us the context, the point. You say, well, how do I know if I've ceased from man? How do I know if I've humbled myself before God? How do I know if I have honestly submitted myself to the will of God? Notice Isaiah chapter 2 verse 11. The Bible says, The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of man shall be bowed down. Notice this, And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. You see that? Who's the only one that's going to be exalted in that day? Jesus, no one else. There will be nothing. There will be no tower. There will be no skyscraper. There will be no building. There will be no, no fence. There will be nothing that will be exalted above God. The Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Look at verse 17. And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down. And the haughtiness of man shall be made low. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. You know what you and I should do? We should cease from man. And we should just realize that for the rest of eternity, for a thousand years, and when we're in heaven with God, the Lord alone shall be exalted. We might as well just live like that today. Say, how do I know if, if I've humbled myself to the point that God wants me? Look, on Sunday morning, when you've got to decide, am I going to go to church or am I going to do something else? If the Lord alone is exalted in that day, then you've submitted yourself. On Sunday night, when you've got to decide, am I going to go to church or am I going to watch American Idol? Well, at that moment, based on your decision, if the Lord alone has been exalted, then you've done the right thing. On Wednesday night, when you got to decide, am I going to just stay home and watch, you know, um, I don't know, I don't even know what's on TV, I don't have an TV for one You're going to watch Wheel of Fortune, <laughs> I don't know. You know, is the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day? It, it comes to this.